0: AT&T ThreatTrack is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show
1: is available at techchannel.att.com. So here's one we're looking at uh, this week, and... TP-Link, who is a pretty big manufacturer of networking equipment in general, Mm -hmm. uh, especially uh, consumer product equipment. A researcher in Germany, I think he is, discovered an interesting um, vulnerability in these TP-Link 3G Wi-Fi routers. These are cellular devices, so it's like a router, just like you would have your home router at home that connects to cable or it connects to DSL. Um, instead, this connects to the cellular network as its next hop. Yep. So you put a SIM in and you can have other devices that connect to it like a Wi-Fi hotspot. A lot of people use them in areas where they might not have internet access otherwise. Sure. Normally, when we're talking about these IoT devices, it's usually that it's got some default password or something that you can telnet into or SSH into. I thought this one was interesting because what he actually discovered is there's a vulnerability in um, the SMS module that handles incoming SMS messages. Apparently you could send specifically crafted SMS messages to
0: the device over the cellular connection and it would respond to whoever sent that message with its passwords. Username, password, and then the Wi-Fi password.
1: If you send um, a script, ta- you know, uh, HTML script uh, pointing to some JavaScript I guess that's on the device itself, it will actually respond back SMS with all of the credentials on the machine, so or on the device. I guess the one thing about this to me that makes it still kind of like less likely that you're going to get compromised is you need to know the phone number. Right. Unless you're going to spam the entire, set, you know, just spam the universe of phone numbers, trying to find ones that are going to respond. When you scan the internet, it's pretty easy. It doesn't cost me anything to send a packet to every single IP address on the internet. But to send a text message to every phone number possible in the world, that's going to cost you some money probably. It's not going to be as easy to do.
0: The script that they're injecting it, is it this n.ms domain? Is that something that's accessible from the outside? Because I tried looking that one up and I I got like a redirect. I think maybe it was like.
1: You see, you're far more observant than I am because I did not even notice that it's actually using like the universal slash slash here. So, it'll just use whatever. You know, it wants for its uh, protocol, HTTP or HTTPS, uh-huh. and it actually is going to end on MS. You're right. But so it could, I don't
0: know. It could be something internal to the device as well, because you know, some devices, like I think, if you do like, uh, a domain, a good
1: point. Yeah, The yeah. device will like, be like, well, that's that's actually me. I know. Yeah, what Yeah. Some about. devices have their own like kind of fake domain name that really just takes you to the device itself yep. on your network.
0: So I'm not I'm not sure. I'd love to get a hold of one of these and, and play with it, but it yeah, seems I like didn't the, actually, the juicy you know, bugs haven't been found.
1: Um, it would be interesting to look at what is this job. I got to, no, maybe not. I don't know. It would be interesting to take a look at this JavaScript and see what it Because, yeah, is the does. question,
0: did he write some JavaScript and use that to attack the device, or did he just find a JavaScript
1: that was on, that was
0: on the device that dumped all this information for him?
1: Right. If I could read German, uh, well, uh, we might actually get the answer. So this uh, actually came from original source of a, you know, yeah, a native language of German. It's basically a remote code execution via SMS text message, which is strange.
0: There's two things about it that make it not that impactful. It's still fascinating. One, if you are to do this to a device, you need to have its, um, its phone number. And two, once you've got that username, password, and the Wi-Fi password, you still have to tie it back to a device. So it only really makes sense to attack a device this way if you have a specific one in mind.
1: He mentioned some other vulnerabilities of things he's been looking into. Um, So the Hutu Travelmate and Mm. TrendNet, also another big consumer manufacturer of routers. Some V-Star cam webcams, all these IoT things that we talk about all the time. StarTech modems, uh, blah blah blah. So
0: just a, a, a cornucopia well, yeah. of IoT bugs here. A whole hodgepodge
1: like. of stuff. Um, I know you've played around. It seems like what he does is he takes the firmware and tries to reverse engineer, figure out what it does. I know you've played around a little bit with that. Yeah.
0: That's a good way to find bugs. You know. Yeah. Either you can attempt it in black box from the outside, or you can start digging through the code and finding things that are dumb.
1: Right, or that were implemented incorrectly. Sure,
0: that's a nicer way of putting
1: right. it. <laughs> anyway, so that's it. that's all I really had on this one. I just thought it was an interesting technique that we really haven't seen before and maybe as developers are developing things, you know, maybe they would just didn't consider this as a vector, you know. Uh, so when they were maybe testing or doing their QA work that didn't get tested. They so conscious of what Internet-facing ports are being exposed, and everybody's trying to lock those down, but they forget that there's another means to potentially access. That's
0: that's super interesting. Because, like, um, do you think this thing has like regular functionality that if I was I was a user and I want to do something to it over SMS, I could do it, or is it some sort of backdoor that the manufacturer left in? Or I'm not sure. Why is it even responding on SMS? Like, I know it's got a cell modem in there, but but what's what's it what's it doing with that?
1: Right. Right. (laughs) Anyway, interesting stuff, more IoT, uh, more strange vectors of compromise that can be leveraged, so one yeah. to keep an eye on.
0: And if you're a developer for a device like this, remember that you know any externally facing interface is an attack surface, right. just because most people aren't attacking you over SMS doesn't mean it's something you have to, it's something you can ignore. That's not the case. Right.
1: Right. And it still is hard anyway, because you still need to know the phone numbers. Okay. But. Maybe there's other ways to find it. I did look on Shodan. You can go find TP-Links on Shodan. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find this model, but there's lots of various TP-Link devices exposed on oh, Shodan. Sure, so they, just they like make, everything.
0: you know, like home routers and other right, stuff. Right, right. So.
1: Anyhow, cool. uh, yeah, another one to keep an eye on in the future and see if we hopefully don't see more of these uh, showing up uh, compromised with Mirai and all these other types of IoT malware out there.
0: So in the grand tradition of John Markley visits to, to the show, we have uh, a quiz. So John, lay it on us, see how well we do.
2: I, I swear this is easy.
0: Okay. I'm gonna feel real dumb if I get this wrong.
3: I always feel nervous when we have these quizzes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: John on and we have a quiz, it's never someone says answer A, someone says answer B. It's always a long discussion as to what the answers might be, but they're never quite clear-cut, so I think that's always kind of fun.
3: I'm always excited uh, about John Markley's quiz, but I'm also always nervous (laughs) because I feel like I might fail.
2: I have a a monthly, you know, dad's night out, and I was out with a bunch of guys who are all about my age, which is, you know, um, late 40s, early 50s, (laughs) <laughs> and, and we're we're trying to figure out you know some of the language that we use every day, and it was interesting some of the some of the changes you know come across uh, you know in our day to day speak that that uh, you know that we're you know we're not as familiar with you know as we used to be, and the others you know the younger younger folks are. And so so here here's one of those quizzes that like I said for for folks who've been around for a while this is probably easy. Uh, younger people may not understand this. <laughs> here we go. So which which of the following type of device to device messages? Transmit verbiage. All right, so either A, text, B, page, C, MMS, D, SMS, or E, instant messaging. And and you can say more than one.
0: Okay, so transmit verbiage, as in words, I think you mean, right?
2: That's generally what verbiage means, yes. (laughs) Okay, well,
0: just making sure we're specific. So instant messaging, absolutely. Uh, I know pages do not. Uh, MMS... Can actually can be used to transmit words. I think that's the format that gets used for um, group texts. Group so you can use that. So MMS is another one. Although I think originally it was supposed to be for pictures. And if I remember, the MMS was multimedia service. Yeah, multimedia. All right. And which which ones haven't we got, John? Because I know SMS, there's a few we have. SMS you... counts as well.
2: Yeah, you haven't. you have, have talked text, which I think was is probably you know easy one. Yep. So, um, you think back to like, okay, I texted you a message, right? So, so, so the, 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 the answer really is all of the above because, okay. you know, when you page somebody, and this is the one Matt that, you know, when you page somebody, you send them a message, you can send them text in a page. I had a pager for years and years and years.
3: Difference between, I think, a pager and a beeper, the beeper, you only or you send the, the oh, Okay. Number.
0: Yeah. Because remember, you, you would always just be the number to call at that point, but that's that's yeah. a that's a beeper, not. But a pager. the
3: doctors always got paged to know what code it is it's, or where they gotta be. It's
2: terminology. It's, it's just funny though. You know, the day to day. You know, you talk to somebody and says, "I'll send you a text." You know, if I say that to you, you know what that means. If I said it to my kids, who knows? <laughs> really? Wow.
0: If you meant, if you said MMS to them, would they know what that meant?
2: Uh, some of them might. Uh, my <laughs> youngest <laughs> certainly don't. <know.
3: laughs> okay. He asks a lot of good questions that I think are not ones you would uh, kind of think of like as a security quiz. It's more of like historical questions. Here's
2: the same question. It's the exact same question, but it's which of the following type of device-to-device messages transmit verbiage and other content, such as pictures. Ah. A, a, text. B, page. the MMS. the SMS. And E, instant messaging. Same, same answer.
0: All right. So I I know, because we talked about it before, MMS is one of those. Definitely. I would also say instant message because I know I've sent stuff over, you know, pictures over instant message as well. I keep thinking back to like AOL instant messenger. Is that still a thing? Uh, It might be. All right. All right. And what's, what's left? So that leaves us with pages, texts, and one more. SMS. And SMS.
3: You know, this is interesting. It could be a trick question. Because sure you can send emoticons
0: as text,
3: like the semicolons and the and that dashes, and it renders as a picture. On and the it could round. render as a picture for number one. And back in the day when you couldn't use picture messaging, I think people—that's how emoticons came to be—is mm-hmm. uh, people were trying to be creative. So it could be a trick question. Do I don't we know. count?
2: Do we count ASCII art? <laughs> <laughs> See now, now you're showing your age, guys. I'm sorry to say that.
3: Oh yeah. <laughs> You know, what's interesting about the ASCII art is that in different countries, there's slightly different dialects for what things mean. For example, in Russia, you don't need the dash on your smiley face, you just have the colon and the parentheses. Well, that's always how I've done it.
0: <laughs> and you don't need a nose, no one on the internet has a nose.
3: <laughs> so I think I would go f- for the, uh, for the high, more high-tech, I guess, interpretation and i would say uh, S- uh mms and the instant messaging.
2: Yeah, and you guys are right. You're right. Because you, you know, discounting the the potential for emoticons or ascii text, you know, or you know ascii pictures, you really the only ways that we we see real graphics is in mms or and and not all instant messaging because some of the older instant messaging was just, you know, was just text. Yep. So, yeah, so you guys you guys hit hit this one just perfectly. So, good nice. job.
4: <laughs>
2: I think
3: Matt and I did pretty well, even though I was a little bit worried uh, that I might not be able to get the right answers.
0: Let's bring John Markley back more. I enjoy his quizzes every time. This was a particularly interesting one, not because it was deeply technical, but because it was, it was, it was just kind of fun.
4: So NIST recently put out this document and asked for commentary on their existing standard, and they want to release a version 1.1. The NIST cybersecurity framework has been around since 2014 and it's got some key highlights in terms of changing the framework itself to meet what is going on in the threat space. It's leaning more and more towards identity and access management. Oh. It's talking a lot more about measuring security, you know, benchmarking and metrics, and it's also going into details on third-party supply risk management. We are seeing that you know, more and more organizations want to baseline security. They want to take a risk-driven approach to security. They're going to their board and talking about the security metrics. What are some of the things that you think we should consider when we are taking these measurements on security? What are some of the, you know, success measures from a cybersecurity program point of view.
5: Well, I mean, I think, you know, network awareness, awareness of what you have, what adversaries you're expecting, you know, how many um, vulnerabilities you, you know, patch, you know, kind of the standard sort of table stakes that we all think about what we're doing. You know, that, that's, you know, the building blocks to having a security program. Are you vulnerability scanning? Do you have a threat analytics platform? Uh, Are you doing some sort of email gateway? I mean, what else? Right. Yeah, I
1: mean, you mentioned that having a good asset inventory is really important. Um, Security awareness programs, like you would mentioned, I think they're really helpful, especially with phishing attacks, Mm -hmm. which is pretty much the front door for probably most malware in companies, Mm -hmm. comes through phishing attacks, so having really good awareness in there. I thought it was interesting you mentioned uh, third-party vendors. Mm And understanding their security practices. I would say most of us are pretty good about understanding our organization, what our assets are, what we need to protect. But when, when we're letting external parties access those assets too inside our company, we might not have as good visibility into these third parties and what these devices are, whether they're infected and compromised, who those actor you know, who those people are. You kind of give them privileged access to your mm-hmm. networks. Yep. And you don't—you kind of trusting that they're doing their due diligence and good security practices, which may or may not be the case. So you could be letting, you know, kind of a little, a little bad action coming that's in through right. the side it's, from a vendor. It's sometimes. kind of so the gray area
5: with insider threat. You know, do you categorize right. that as an insider? Or you're kind of privil- giving them privilege, but they're not really probably who you really think of when you're thinking of your first set of insiders, right? right?
4: Yeah, and when you think about the supply chain in terms of the different tiers of vendors that you have, you don't give everybody the same level of access. So I think it's important to think about a risk profile for all your vendors as well. So not only do you do risk management in-house, are you having sort of a risk rating or a grading measure for each of your vendors that you're letting into your network? Because today the way security works and any business operations work, you just don't have like a well-defined perimeter and you cannot say everything is inside this. It's all the porous connections that you're making to this external partner and you know other providers, so it's important that while you are measuring your risk profile and you are sharing threat intelligence, maybe within the community, you're also keeping in mind that there is a tier of vendors that you're letting in, and a risk rating is necessary for them as well. Right.
5: Yes. So Bindo you said you've worked quite a bit with this framework. Have you seen a positive impact of the this framework in the? cybersecurity industry? Yes,
4: definitely. You know, what we are seeing more and more, and I recently read a report as well, right now apparently there is about 30% adoption of the NIST framework. By 2020, we expect about a 50% adoption. Federal organizations, public sector organizations, as well as private organizations are looking to this because in the marketplace, there is a lack of a unified framework that can help you go beyond compliance measures, but still not a one-size-fits-all approach. What I really do like about the NIST framework is it gives you the structure, but it's not a one-size-fits-all. So you can tailor it based on your business needs and your risk profile, and then adopt phases of this framework that fits your maturity model.
1: If I'm like a law firm, I might have only a certain number of things that I really need to cover immediately based on the NIST guidelines. But if I'm an energy company that's part of critical infrastructure, I've got a whole nother set of things that I really need to get on uh, that would be covered in the NIST framework as well. And I like the fact that it gives people a place to start, Mm -hmm. especially if they don't have a mature security uh, program in their own organizations. It gives them some place to start. Like I don't even know where, you know, sometimes you don't know where to start. But in this case, at least it gives you somewhere.
5: It also allows Different groups to speak the same language. Yes. You know. You know. Well, NIST defines it this way, mm-hmm. and you know, even though we might want it, you know, sometimes it looks like legalese, but at least you know, if we need a tiebreaker and mm-hmm. what lingo to use, sometimes we can go to a framework like this. Yeah, that and that we're seeing
4: of, more and more folks demand the need for benchmarking, right? So. Let's say I'm an insurance provider or I'm a retailer. I want to know what other retailers are doing in terms of security. Am I making those same investments? Am I you know, sort of safeguarding against the same threats? And you can't really benchmark if you don't have a standard because what are you measuring yourself against? So a framework like this helps you even benchmark. You can say, hey, I am... Sort of sixty percent aligned with the NIST framework at this point, and my goal for next year would be to increase that percentage. And you know, you can sort of take this as a continuous measure. So yeah, we don't uh, have to you know, sort of follow the NIST framework to the dot. But then the categories help you define your existing security tools and technologies that you have, along with the processes and you know things that you use within your organization. Right, right. So you know, I think we're looking forward as an industry to see this update come, and you know. I think we have seen that the credit unions have participated and given input. We've seen, you know, major firms come in and talk about like healthcare has provided input. Yeah. So we see that, you know, healthcare, especially being a huge target is looking for NIST in terms of guidance as to, you know, some things that they can do at the smaller hospital level, you know, as they're branching out into that larger chain, they want to be protected. Right. So it'll be interesting to see how this standard evolves.
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the things it's, you know, I looked at it and it's like five, 600 page document. So mm-hmm. I think I need a NIST <laughs> a for dummies yeah, yeah. document or something yeah. would be helpful for cliff uh, notes. yeah, a little cliff notes version <laughs> would be good uh, to break it down. But um you like I said, it is good yeah. to have uh, some Yeah, I'm sure
5: you could to find to a PowerPoint from. somewhere. Yeah, it,
4: they, you know, they do do these workshops. So after they put out the standard, NIST hosts these workshops where you can come in and take a look at, you know, what are the key changes and, you know, what are some of the things that you should focus on depending on the size of the organization. So there is the Cliff Note PowerPoint version as awesome. well.
1: So. so this new version has just kind of been released, but they're still looking for comments yes. before uh, uh, The comments it.
4: closed out on April 10th, so we are hoping that they would, you know, take in the Comments and release the final draft later. Okay. So we're thinking in about two, three months. All right, great. So.
5: Right. Well, I'm glad we have an expert with us to help us guide us <laughs> through that you. process. <laughs>
1: yeah, for sure.
0: The views expressed on ATT Threat Track are those of the participants and do not
1: necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.